0: Well, good morning and welcome to Orchard Church. I want to welcome all those that are also going to be watching online. Uh, we are in the second week of our series called Better Together. Take out your Bibles, if you would, right now and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. That's where we'll begin in just a moment. We are looking during this three-week series, Better Together, at three of our 11 values here at Orchard Church. These values help us to stay on mission, the mission that God has given us. Uh, help me out if you know the mission here at Orchard Church. Our mission is helping people. Find and follow Jesus, amen. And last week we looked at our first value and that was the value of being church contributors, uh, not consumers. And if you weren't here last week, I know last week was spring forward uh, Sunday. That's the bad one, we lost an hour of sleep. So I know some of you played hooky, we know who you are, God knows. And so I wanna encourage you, if you missed last week, if you consider Orchard Church, your church home, as your pastor, I'm asking you, please go and watch last week's message. Online about being contributors, not consumers. I believe it'll challenge you. It'll be a blessing to your heart as well. And I also want us to celebrate this morning that over 140 people last week signed up to start serving and using the gifts God has given them in His church and as His church. Can we give it up for all those that are joining in and serving? Amen. Today we're going to look at another one of our values, and I, I would say today, and I would even argue today, that the value we're going to talk about today is really our number one value, our most important value, because everything flows out of this value, and if you're taking notes this morning on the back of your newsletter, I hope you will, here's the value we're going to look at today. Here at Orchard Church, we always ask this question, what does the Bible say? This church was founded on the Word of God, and we always ask the question, what does the Bible say? Sometimes people ask me, well, what does Pastor Doug believe about this subject? Or what does Orchard Church believe about that subject? And I always say the same thing. It doesn't matter what I think or I believe or what our church thinks or believes. It only matters what this book has said. Amen? That, that's what matters. Hey, let's celebrate that. Somebody's want to Celebrate. It only matters what the Bible says because we believe that the Bible is absolute truth. So, as a church, help me out, church, we always ask, what does the Bible say? And that was pretty pathetic. So, I'm going to give you another chance. As a church, what do we value, church? We always ask, What does the Bible say? Now, why do we ask that question? Why is that our number one value? Because we believe that we have a book that we can trust. We believe that it is truth. It is absolute truth. We believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God. But not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes that. You may even be here today and you're not sure if you believe that or or not. I mean, do we really believe that there's any such thing as as absolute truth? Uh, I mean... We have trust issues today. I think most of us would agree that most people today have trust issues. If you would agree with that, raise your hand. That most people have trust issues today. I know that I definitely do not trust the weathermen and women here in Denver. I've shoveled partly cloudy off my driveway many times. I think they told us this morning we're going to wake up and it's going to be cloudy and raining and snowing. And it's nice, at least right now, but stick around. That, that'll change. But most people today have trust issues. And people, people often wonder, is there any such thing as absolute trust? truth, something that I can completely trust, and you may be here today, and somebody invited you, and and you thought, you know, what's going on in this new building here at Orchard Church, and maybe you're not even sure if you believe in absolute truth, you're not sure if you completely trust all of the Bible, you're kind of beginning your faith journey, and I just want to say, welcome, we're glad you're here, we're here to help you start out on your journey of faith, we have a saying here at Orchard that you can uh, belong before you believe, amen, church, you're you're welcome here, and so I hope today uh, this journey will help you to understand why we as a church always ask, what does the Bible say? Why do we believe that the Bible is absolute truth? But did you know that most Americans do not believe in absolute truth. There was recently a USA Today poll that asked people in America, how many of you believe there's any such thing as absolute truth? 67% of people in the U.S. said they don't believe that there's any such thing as absolute truth. 67% of the people. And, and you know, sometimes we don't even trust ourselves. Uh, we lie to ourselves. I heard a story about a lady uh, that she was with her little daughter and she was in her bathroom one morning and she's kind of getting ready and she got up on the scale uh, there in the bathroom. and She looked down at the scale and she said this cannot be right this this is this scale is lying there's no way that i weigh this much and the little girl looked up and said mommy you look like you weigh this much i'm sorry that's real really bad isn't it we we don't even trust ourselves sometimes and we lie to ourselves Uh, somebody told me that there's two kinds of people you can trust little kids and drunk people always tell the truth right but is there any such thing as absolute truth? We, the truth is we don't like to face the truth sometimes. We don't like to even be honest with ourselves. And so that's what we're going to explore, explore today. Is there any such thing as absolute truth? Can you really trust the Bible? Can we really trust this book? And we're going to start out in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 16 this morning. And let me just tell you, uh, those of you that attend Orchard regularly, you know uh, that Pastor Doug is known to speak at 60 miles an hour with gusts up to 100. Okay, well, this is one of those days, all right? I'm gonna talk fast, you're gonna write fast, I'm gonna share a lot of information with you, but I believe it'll be a blessing and encourage you and hopefully strengthen your faith, and if you're beginning your journey, you're gonna understand by the end of this message why we believe that this book is absolute truth and, and it can be trusted. We're gonna jump into 2 Peter 1, Peter was one of the disciples. He spent over three and a half years with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was taught by Jesus, and, and then he has some things to say about that relationship, and what we have that we can trust today. He says in 2 Peter 1:16, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just some fictitious fable about Jesus. We, we were with him. We saw him. We saw his majestic splendor with our what? Own eyes. We saw Jesus. When, we, when he received glory, honor and glory from God the Father, the voice, everybody say The voice. This is not the TV show, The Voice. This is the voice of God. He says, Not only did we spend time with Jesus and we saw Jesus with our own eyes, but the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves are heard that voice, what voice? The very voice of God, the audible voice of God. So Peter spent time with Jesus, saw him in person, and he got to hear one day on a mountain the actual voice of God from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now he says, we spent time with Jesus, we heard the audible voice of God, but believe it or not, now we have something that's even more reliable than those two things. Something even more trustworthy than being with Jesus and hearing the audible voice of God. I mean, that ought to get our attention. What is this thing that Peter's going to talk about? Well, look at what he says in verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. And where do we find today the message proclaimed by the prophets? In the Bible, in this book. He he goes on and says, you must pay close attention to what they what? What they wrote, where did they write it? In the Bible. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, he says, if you don't get anything else, get this. Hear what I'm about to say. He's building a case. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in where, church? Scripture. The Bible is Filled with scripture. That's what the Bible is that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. In other words, they weren't making these things up. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from who, church? They spoke from God. Do you see what Peter's saying? In other words, he's saying, you can trust the Bible. You can trust the word of God. These men, these women that wrote the Bible, they spoke from God. This is absolute truth. This is why we could trust the Bible. The psalmist in Psalm 119, uh, verse 160 said this. Help me out, church. The entirety of your word is truth. Not some of it, not most of it. The entirety of it, it's kind of sad that honestly there are some pastors and Bible teachers and churches today that say that the Bible contains truth. We would disagree with that. We don't believe that the Bible just contains truth. We believe that it is truth. A big difference, that it is truth. We don't get to go in and pick and choose what is true and what is not true. We accept all of it as absolute truth from God. The psalmist said the entirety of your word is truth. Now listen, if you have trouble trusting Peter, If you have trouble trusting the psalmist, would you trust Jesus? Can I have an amen? All right, if Jesus says it to be so, is that good enough? Well, here's what Jesus says about the word of God. Jesus in John 17, 17 said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your what? Your word. That's the Bible, which is truth. Again, it doesn't just contain truth. It doesn't just have truth. He says it is truth. If you're with me, say yes. It is truth, and that's why Orchard Church was founded on the Bible, that we always ask the question, what does the Bible say? Because we believe this book is absolute truth. I hope you'll take some notes this morning, because I want to give you three reasons why I believe that we can trust the Bible. Three reasons why I believe we can trust the Bible as absolute truth, which lead, leads us to always ask the question, what does the Bible say? If you're taking notes, the first reason that I believe we can trust the Bible is because of the Bible's unexplainable unity. Because of the Bible's unexplainable unity. The way this book was put together proves that the Bible could not be the work of man. Yes God used man to be the instrument but God was doing the talking. Uh, the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3:16 said it this way, help me out, what's the first word, church? All, not some, not most, all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired is pneumotheos, it means God breathed, that God was doing the speaking and men and women were writing it down and pinning the scripture. They, they, were, they were recording it for us where we got our Bible. You would understand it this way today. Uh, how many of you have an iPhone, the best phone on the market known to man? You've got an Apple, you've got an iPhone, okay? So I heard some booze over here, all right? You, you'll, you'll, you'll come to the light eventually. Uh, if you've got an iPhone, you know, and you're driving, you know, you don't text and drive. And so what I love about my iPhone is if I'm, you know, maybe headed home and I want my wife, Shelly, to know I'm coming home, I say, hey, Siri, text Shelly on my way home. Did I just blow up some of your phones when I said, hey, Siri? Were they like, yes? I, I thought that'd be funny if that happened today. <laughs> When I was going over this message and, and with some of the staff, they said, you're gonna say, hey, Siri, and phones are gonna light up, so sorry if I did that. But I say, hey, Siri, text this to Shelly. I'm on my way home. And then she writes that down, sends it in a text. When Shelly, my wife, gets that text, she doesn't look at it and go, oh, Siri sent me a message. Siri's on her way home. No, Siri was just the instrument. No, this is from my husband. These are his words. He's on his way home. He better be on his way home because he's late for dinner, Okay. And that's how we got the Bible. God was doing speaking. God was doing the talking. Man was the instrument to write it down. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay? Now, let me say this. Let me help some of you out. Be careful with Siri. And also be careful with autocorrect. Some of you know what I'm talking about. True story. One day, I was uh, trying to say something to Siri to send a text to my son who plays college baseball. And he was home for the summer. And he was playing on a, a baseball team in the summer called the Denver Generals. And so I wanted to text him and encourage him, and I said, hey, looking forward to the, day, to the game today, Caleb. Uh, go generals. But Siri did not write it and translate it go generals. It said go genitals. <laughs> so be, be careful, all right? just That was extra today. That was free. Be, be careful. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, when God was inspiring his word, they got it right. They wrote it down accurately. Here's the thing. Both in its content and the construction proved that this is a supernatural book. Both in the content and construction of this book. Let me give you some evidence to consider. And again, don't try to write all of this down. I'm um, gonna we'll give you a lot of information. You can go back. Uh, this will be online by tomorrow. You can get the details. But the Bible, the word Bible means books. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 individual books. And what's interesting is from Genesis to Revelation, There's, even though they're individual books, there's this one continuous story that fits together with a unity that humanly is unexplainable as you read the Bible. And, and when you study the history of the Bible, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years' time, over 60 different generations. It was written by 40 different authors that God used to pen the Scriptures. It was written on three different continents. And I think we would agree that whatever culture you live in affects the way you write. The Bible was written by people from all different walks of life That would have a very different worldview. It was written by kings. It was written by queens. It was written by princes, by poor, by the rich, by farmers, doctors, tent makers. It was written by carpenters and housewives and tax collectors and historians and soldiers and fishermen and prophets. It was written by male and female. The Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And what's really interesting is the Bible contains writings about hundreds of controversial subjects that people tend to not agree on. Subjects like creation, like life, death, eternity, morality, parenting, marriage, uh, money, love, sexuality, politics. And yet it, it reads like one continuous story. There's complete agreement. There's complete unity in the Bible. That's humanly unexplainable how that could happen. Over 1500 years, period of time. L- let me illustrate it this way. Let's say I gave all of you today a homework assignment, and your homework assignment is to go home and I want you to write a one page article on these subjects morality, love, death, marriage, parenting, and money. And I want each of you to do this. And I, I, we live in the same time period. Most of us live in the same area. Many of us go to the same church. We are serving and worshiping the same God. But I ask you all to go home, write a one page article on those subjects. Next week, we're going to collect those from everybody uh, at Orchard Church. We're going to put them in a binder. We're just going to put them in there. And on the front of the book, we're going to say what Orchard Church believes about all those subjects. You can go ahead and laugh because it would be ridiculous. That would be the most confusing and self-conflicting and ridiculous book that you've ever read. If you agree, say yes. It wouldn't make any sense. It would it would contradict itself all over the place. Yet, when it comes to this book, when it comes to the Bible, you have a book written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, different times, places, people from all different walks of life, hundreds of controversial subjects, and yet there's this one unfolding story, and this book fits together with no errors or contradictions whatsoever. That's humanly... Unexplainable. It's supernatural. It's unparalleled. It's unequaled. There is no other book like this book, the Bible. The Bible. So, can we really trust the Bible? I believe, yes, we can. First of all, because of the Bible's unexplainable unity how it was put together and constructed. Here's a second reason why we always ask, what does the Bible say? Why we believe this book is absolute truth and it can be trusted. Because of the Bible's uncoincidental prophecies. Not only because of the Bible's unexplainable unity, but we can trust the Bible because of the Bible's uncoincidental prophecies. Now, somebody this week challenged me, said, I'm not sure uncoincidental is a word. Well, it is today because it fits the outline really nice. So work (laughs) with me. This book, the Bible has the ability to predict the future hundreds of years before it happens, sometimes thousands of years, with 100% accuracy. There, there are over 10,365 prophecies in this book. And you, know how, and you know how many times this book has been wrong? Zero. Never. In 6,000 years of human history, this book has never been wrong when it comes to prophecy. And the reason is because we serve a God of prophecy, and God is the author of the Bible. And it can be trusted. And nobody can predict the future like our God can. And God tells us in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 3 through 5, why he gives us so much prophecy in the Bible. Over 10,000 prophecies that have never been wrong. Here's what God said. Long ago, I told you what was going to happen. Then suddenly, I took action. Help me out church and all my predictions came true why did you do this God why did you give us all these prophecies here's what God said for I know how stubborn and obstinate you are God's words not mine don't shoot the messenger your necks are as unbending as iron your heads are as hard as bronze My dad loved to quote that to me when I was growing up, that verse, all the time. And he says, that is why I told you what would happen. I told you beforehand what I was going to do. What is God saying here? He's saying, I predicted all these things. I gave you all these prophecies to prove that I can be trusted, to prove that the Bible is true because I know you're not easily convinced. And prophecy is one of the great proofs that the Bible is true, the uncoincidental prophecies of the Bible. I wanna share some of those prophecies with you this morning that I hope will strengthen your faith, encourage you, and these are kind of fun. We are not gonna go through over 10,000. And everybody said... Amen, right? But let me, give you, let me give you three, three uncoincidental prophecies. First of all, let's talk about, if you're taking notes, the prophecies concerning Israel, God's people, the nation of Israel. Have you ever noticed how Israel is always in the news? I mean, you turn on CNN, ABC, CBS, Fox. Why is it that Israel seems to dominate the news? This little country that is you know, in the middle of the Middle East that's the size of New Jersey yet seems to be the center of the world. The reason that Israel dominates the news is because Israel dominates the Bible. And the prophecies concerning Israel as a nation dominate the Bible. Uh, One writer said it this way. He, He said this about Israel. Israel is the great sign God has given to the world to prove his existence, to prove the Bible is true and prove that God is in charge of history. Israel, and let me give you some prophecy about Israel. In the last 70 years, we have seen many of the prophecies about Israel come true right before our very eyes, prophecies that are talked about and predicted in the Bible have been fulfilled. Many of them are in relation to the last days or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Here at Orchard Church, we believe that, that one day, and it could be very soon, that Jesus Christ is going to come back for his church, for his bride, amen. We believe he's coming again. We serve a risen savior that's going to return. But the Bible has a lot of prophecies and predictions about that event, especially when it comes to the nation of Israel. And one of the major prophecies in the Bible about the nation of Israel is that just before Jesus returns, Israel will be a nation and they will be in their homeland. And I want you to understand that the stage is set today for that to take place like never before. But it hasn't always been this way. Most of us now in this generation just take it for granted. Well, of course Israel is a nation. Of course they're in their homeland. But did you know that they went some 1,900 years without a homeland? That Israel went some 1,900 years and they were not recognized as a nation? History tells us, and this was predicted by God as well, in 70 AD, the Romans went into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem and they drove the Jews out of their homeland and they were scattered all over the world. In 70 AD, we went some 1,900 years and Israel was not a nation, yet the Bible prophesied and said that before the return of Christ, Israel will be a nation, And God prophesied this. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, I think I put that reference down for you. God said that if if the nation of Israel disobeyed their God, he would scatter them around the world. 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. That was a fulfilled prophecy. But what you'll notice about the prophecy is God said he would scatter them, but he did not not say he would make them extinct. And what is amazing is no other nation in the history of, Of the world has ever been driven from their homeland and yet retained their identity, except for one nation, the nation of Israel, God's people. It's humanly unexplainable. And this is what God said in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21 and 22. God said, I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations, I will bring them home to where church? their own land from the places where they have been scattered, I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. And we went some 1,900 years, and Israel had no homeland. They were not a nation. And some of you may remember this. We will not have you raise your hand. May 14th, 1948, The world recognized Israel as a nation once again, gave them back their homeland, and since that took place in 1948, over 6 million Jews have gone home to Israel. And the stage is set for the return of Christ exactly like the Bible said. Exactly like the Bible said. The prophecies concerning the nation of Israel are one of the proofs that this book is true. Let me give you another uncoincidental prophecy that I believe proves we could trust the Bible. The prophecies concerning Jesus himself, Jesus, our Messiah. There are over 360 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And these prophecies in the Bible prophesied where the Messiah would be born, how he'd be born, his geological line, his life, his death, his birth, his burial, his resurrection, all these things were talked about hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and and every one of them came true. Every one of them was fulfilled, just like the Bible said. Now, sometimes people say, well, that was just a coincidence. I'd really like to know how he pulled that virgin birth thing off on his own. I don't know how that happened. They said, well, you know, eventually somebody was going to come along and be born that would match up with the prophecies in the Bible. Remember, there are over 360 prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that have all been fulfilled, Now, to help us wrap our minds around, could this just have happened by chance? Could this just have been a coincidence? Numerologists, who are a lot better at numbers than I am, they they did what was called using the the principle of probability. What's the probability of the chances of one man just coincidentally, accidentally fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah? Now, they didn't take all 360. They just took eight. Eight Of the 360, of the prophecies of the Messiah, they said, what's the chances that one man could have fulfilled these just by coincidence? And what they said is it would be the chances of one in 100 quadrillion are the chances of somebody even fulfilling eight of the 360. That's one with 17 zeros after it. To help us kind of wrap our minds around that, he he illustrated it this way. He said it would be like if you took quarters and you stacked them two foot deep over the entire state of Texas and you painted one of the quarters red, and then you blindfolded a guy, and you uh, give him one chance to walk into the state of Texas blindfolded and pick up the quarter that is red, you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, one in 100 quadrillion. That's the chance of him picking that up. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling even eight of the prophecies of the Messiah, and Jesus Christ fulfilled over three hundred and sixty. All of them. Every one of them. Hey, let's celebrate that. Amen. That proves that this book is true and it can be trusted. Somebody said either the Bible is true or Jesus was the luckiest man to ever live. And I think we know the truth. Let me give you another prophecy, and that is the prophecy concerning the last days that I believe prove that this book is true and can be trusted, the prophecies concerning the last days. When we say the last days, we're talking about the last days on this earth before the return of Jesus Christ. And in Daniel, this is what God said, a prophecy written three thousand years ago about three thousand years ago this is what god said a prophecy in daniel about the last days before the return of christ god said this but you daniel keep this prophecy a secret seal up the book until the time of the end the last days when many will help me read this together church rush here and there everybody say rush here and there it says, in the last days, before Christ returns, many people are gonna rush here and there and knowledge will increase. You know what we're living in? It's called the information age. Now, now, here's what's interesting. When it says that people will rush here and there, many Bible scholars believe that that is a reference to the fact that in the last days, there will be an increase in the speed and the frequency of how people travel, how they rush here and there, how they get around. Now, remember, Daniel wrote this about 3,000 years ago. How many of you remember in school studying about a scientist named Sir Isaac Newton? You remember Sir Isaac Newton? Okay, he was actually a a Christian. He read this prophecy written 3,000 years ago, but he read it in 1680. That's when he lived. And Sir Isaac Newton in 1680, after reading this prophecy, made this statement. Here's what he said. Personally, I cannot help but believe these words, words refer to the end times. Men will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There may be some inventions that will enable people to travel much more frequently and quickly than they do now. That speed might even exceed... 40 miles per hour. Remember, he wrote this in 1680. Now, if you think that's funny, listen to this next one. 80 years later, some of you may have studied this in school, there was a French atheist, did not even believe there was a God, named Voltaire. He read what Sir Isaac Newton wrote about Daniel's prophecy, and here is what he recorded. He said this, Voltaire, See what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man. Here is a scientist like Newton who actually writes that man might travel at speeds up to 30 or 40 miles per hour based on a Bible verse in Daniel. Has he forgotten if man travels at this rate of speed, he would suffocate and his heart would stand still? I'd like to just pray for all of you today. God be with them as they travel over 40 miles per hour heading home that their heart would not stand still and you would not suffocate. Are you all starting to get the picture? The Bible's true. The Bible is true. It can be trusted. This is why at Orchard we always ask, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? When you consider the uncoincidental prophecies of Israel and Jesus in the last days, when you consider the unexplainable unity of how this book was put together, you can trust the Bible. Can you guys handle one more? L- let, me give you, let me give you one more, okay? You're going to have to handle it anyway, all right? Here's the third one. The Bible's unimaginable teachings. How do we know we can trust the Bible? We can trust the Bible because of the Bible's unimaginable teachings, I believe, prove that God wrote this book. It's been well said that man could not write the Bible if he would, and man would not write the Bible if he could, let me give you some unimaginable teachings uh, in the Bible that I believe prove the Bible is true and can be trusted. The first ones, if you're taking notes, is the teachings about God. The teachings about God himself. There there are some teachings about God that I think that we just take for granted, especially if we've read the Bible, if we've been in church for any amount of time. uh, We kind of collectively know some things about God. We know that our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. We know that the Bible tells us that our God is a trinity. He's three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and and we just accept that. It kind of blows our mind, but we talk about it because that's what the Bible says. We know that the Bible teaches that our God is eternal and he's everlasting, that he's always been. He has no beginning. He has no end. He says, I'm the alpha and the omega. But here's the thing. We take those teachings from the Bible for granted. But when you take all the attributes and all the characteristics about God spoken of and written in the Bible, it absolutely transcends man's finite intellect. We don't think that way. We, we can't even wrap our minds around some of the teachings about God in the Bible. It's just kind of, it just kind of blows our mind, letting us know that man didn't invent God and that God wrote down the Bible because man could not have come up with the God that you read about in the Bible. There's no way such a finite being like man could invent such an infinite being like God. We don't think that way. But the psalmist said it this in Psalm 40, verse 5, Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. He's like, I can't even wrap my mind around it. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. When you compare... This is how we know God wrote the Bible. When you compare the God of the Bible to some of the other man made gods that people have come up with, there is no comparison. There is no comparison to our God, the God of the Bible. There's no comparison to his awesomeness, to his power, to his splendor, to his majesty, to his character, to his grace, to his love, to his mercy, to his eternity. Let's give him some praise. He deserves our worship. That's our God. And man could not have come up with that. The teachings about God, I believe, prove that man didn't write this book. He was just the instrument. Let me give you another one, the teachings, the unimaginable teachings about man himself. We've talked about the teachings about God, but what about the teachings about man himself? You say, man would not have written the things about himself that you read in the Bible If, if man was just putting it down. Because here's what the Bible says about man. The Bible teaches that man is sinful, that man is corrupt, that man is depraved, that man is helpless and hopeless. We don't think that way. We think, I can do it. Just do it. You can do it. I can do it. Man wouldn't really say these things about himself. It's not our nature. Our nature is, I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. You're the man. The Bible says, No, you're not. No, I'm not. And if man were going to set some standards for himself, like you read about in the Bible, he would at least make them attainable. And yet, that's not what you read in the Bible. The Bible says that God's um, goal, uh, God's standard for us, what he wants us to be to be right with him, is holiness and perfection. And we all fall way short of that. And apart from Jesus Christ, we can't do it. But that's, that's not how man thinks, Man's going to set some standards. He's going to make them attainable, but that's not what you find in in the Bible. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 18. Now, the Apostle Paul, can we all agree that I don't know that any of us would want to put our spirituality and relationship with God up against the Apostle Paul? I wouldn't. And yet the Apostle Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, planted churches everywhere, he said this, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh What does it say, church? Nothing good dwells. Nothing. Now, if Apostle Paul is saying that, what would we say? Man doesn't think that way. When you read the Bible, we read about so many heroes of the faith, men and women. We read about heroes like Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and Ruth and Esther and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And these people did incredible things for God that are recorded in the Bible, but do you know the Bible also records some of the horrible things those people did? And here's what's really interesting. They wrote them down about themselves. You know, if, if I'm writing the Bible, I'm only giving the highlights of my life, kind of like what most of you put on Facebook. <laughs> All the good stuff, none of the bad stuff. Everything's great. But, but the reason, that's one of the reasons it proves that man didn't write this book because he would leave out the bad things he did. But that's not what we find in the Bible. Some of you remember the story of Jonah and the whale. Remember that? Jonah and a big fish. We don't know for sure if it's a whale. I think it's a whale. So I say, Jonah and the whale. Remember the story of Jonah and the whale? That's in the book of Jonah, in the Bible. You read that story, it does not paint Jonah in a good light. Jonah disobeyed God. Jonah ran from God. Jonah was thrown overboard. He was swallowed by a whale. And then he was vomited up on the shore. He then obeys God because he had to. And then he gets under a tree and he sulks about it and has a bad attitude. I mean, Jonah is not really somebody you go, oh, hero. Here's what's crazy. Guess who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. If I'm Jonah and I'm writing the Bible, I'm like, I'm going to skip that story. (laughs) Jonah. David. Man, a man after God's own heart wrote most of the book of of Psalms and and other books. David, a lot of great things about David, but David also messed up. David committed adultery, Bathsheba. If I'm David and I'm writing the Bible, I'm skipping that part of my story. But he didn't. Why did these men and women write this stuff about themselves? Because they were just the instrument. God was doing the talking. God was the one telling them what to write down. And I believe the teachings of the Bible And what it says about man prove that this book can be trusted. The unimaginable teachings about God, the unimaginable teachings about man, and let me give you one more, the unimaginable teachings about salvation, I believe prove once and for all that this book, the Bible, could not have been written by man that God was the writer, God was the, the author of this book. Because when we talk about salvation, we talk about how to be right with God, how to have our sins forgiven. Natural man's way and idea of salvation is always the same. What do I have to do? It's always about works. We just spent four weeks talking about what's the difference between religion and biblical Christianity, and the difference is clearly this. Either saved by grace through faith or saved by something you do. And man, if he's coming up with salvation, how to have your sins forgiven, how to have, be right with God, how to have a home in heaven, man is always going to put down some work, some standard I, I keep, some ritual that I do, uh, some, some religious duty or practice, some level of spirituality that I obtain. And yet that is not what the Bible teaches. Paul in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 said, this is how we're saved. This is how we have salvation. For by grace you have been saved through what, Church faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God it is not of works everybody say not of works it is not of works lest anyone should boast we are not saved by any work that we do we are saved by the finished work of our savior Jesus Christ but man yeah let's give some praise but man doesn't think like that man always thinks what do I have to do what do I have to do? Man spells salvation D O. What do I do? God in the Bible spells salvation D O N E. It's about what was done for you through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I believe what we read about salvation in the Bible proves that man didn't come up with the Bible, God did. Let me wrap it up with this, this story. And if, if you're a parent and you have young children in here right now, uh, I'm gonna give you a little spoiler, spoiler alert, okay? If they're not no-see kids and they're in here, spoiler alert right now, the story I'm gonna tell. Uh, this story goes back many years. Uh, my son right now, he's, he's 22. He's in his senior year of college. He's about to be finished up. And when he was about six years old, we were riding in the car one day and we were kind of asking him some questions. And, you know, he, he, he was saying he believed in Jesus and all of this. And so we, we were trying to make sure that Caleb understood the difference between what is real and what is make believe. And we have no problem with make believe things, you know, characters and Santa and Easter Bunny and all that. But we just, we wanted to make sure that he understood there's a difference between what is make believe and fun and what is real and what we can trust. And so six years old, we're riding the car, and I, we said, Caleb, is the Easter Bunny for real? Is the Easter Bunny real? And he thought for a second and he goes, No, I don't think so. I think that's just for fun. We said, okay, how about the tooth fairy? Is the tooth fairy for real? You know, when you you lose a tooth and you put a quarter under your pillow? We were cheap, sorry. (laughs) Is that that a real person, the tooth fairy? He thought for a second. He said, no, I think that's just for fun. And we said, okay, what about Santa Claus? Is Santa Claus for real? I mean, you've gone to visit him at the store. I mean, is, is Santa for real? He thought for a second. He goes, no, I don't think so. I think he's just, just for fun. And we said, oh, okay. And we said, well, what about Jesus? I mean, you've never seen Jesus. Is Jesus for real? And immediately goes, yes. And we said, well, how do you know that Jesus is real and he's not make-believe? He says, because it's in the Bible and the Bible is never wrong. I can't add any to that. I can't add anything to that. That is why we believe we can trust the Bible. We always ask, what does the Bible say? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we have a book that we can trust as absolute truth. We pray, God, that we would not just read it and study it, but we'd apply it to our life, that we'd be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Thank you that you left us the instruction manual for life There are so many things in this world that we cannot count on and we cannot trust, but we can trust you and we can trust your word. So we continue in attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. Can we really trust the Bible? I believe we can. But so what? What now? I know I gave you a lot of information today as you're in an attitude of prayer. What are the practical implications of this? What do we do with this? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I know many of you would say you do trust the Bible. You do believe the Bible is true. But let me ask you this question. Are you reading it? Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Are you letting God speak to you? Are you studying it? Are you memorizing it? Are you meditating on it? And most importantly, are you applying it? I'm afraid some people love the Bible more than they love following the Bible. I think if we're honest, sometimes we say, we, we say with our words that we believe the Bible is absolute truth, but we live in a way that doesn't say that. Are we living like we believe it? With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you'd say, you know what, I do believe the Bible's true, but I also know and believe that I could put it into practice more in my life. I could live it out. I could be more of a doer of God's word and not just a hearer. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? I believe the word of God is true, and I also know that I could do a better job applying it in my life. God bless you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. You can put them down. Father, I I pray that we would put into practice what you've told us in your word, that we would trust you, that we would not just with our mouth say we believe it, but with our life we would live a life that shows we believe it, and that others would see it. They would see that we believe what we say we believe. So we continue in attitude prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're here exploring your faith. I think there's really kind of two responses to the message today and everything we talked about. One response is, Eh, That didn't really prove anything, that was kind of foolish and you may leave here the same way you came in and we respect that you have the right to do that. Nobody can make this decision for you but I believe that there may be some of you that God has done something in your heart and life today. I believe that God has revealed himself to you through the truth of his word and truth is a person and that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I believe that Jesus has revealed himself to some of you today, and he's inviting you to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life and abundant life by saying yes to him. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith, a prayer out loud that you can pray right where you sit, from your heart to God's, and you can invite Jesus into your life today to forgive you of your sins, to give you the gift of salvation. And I believe that God has brought some of you to this place and this time to do just that. You know who you are today. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you pray it with a heart of faith, then you can have your sins forgiven and begin a relationship with Jesus today. If that's you, you know who you are. Would you pray this with me? It goes like this. Jesus, you have revealed yourself to me today through your word, your truth. I want to know you, Jesus. I want a relationship with you. Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving and forgiving me. Thank you, thank you. Just head bowed and nice eyes closed. and we look around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'd never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I would love, love the privilege to pray for you, that you grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So right now, without hesitation, if you prayed that prayer and said yes to Jesus, can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand all across the auditorium? Just lift up your hand if you prayed that prayer. God bless you. One, two, three people over here. God bless you here in the middle. Yes, God bless you here on my left, in the back, way back there. Amen. God bless you. Several hands. Let me pray for you. Amen. 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 Father, we just lift up all those today saying yes to you. We welcome them into the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that they would fall in love with you. They would fall in love with your word as you speak to them, that they would fall in love with prayer as they speak to you. We pray that they grow in their walk and relationship with you from this day forward. And we thank you that you are an incredible, amazing God, the only true God deserving of all our worship and all of our praise. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you, right, let's celebrate those that said yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you just raised your hand, you said yes to Jesus, um, man, we are just so excited about your decision. That's what it's all about here at Orchard Church. We take that uh, decision very seriously. It's the most important decision you could ever make. Uh, we put together a little book called I Said Yes. It'll help you understand um, your decision for Christ, what the decision you made, and how to walk with Jesus from this day forward. So before you leave today, make sure you stop by the I Said Yes booth out there uh, in the lobby and pick up one of these books as our gift to you because we are so excited about your decision to say yes to Jesus today. Let's celebrate. Uh, Once again, all those that invited Jesus into their life today. God bless you guys.
1: Awesome. Well, praise God. Well, hey, isn't it awesome knowing that we can trust what the Bible says? We can trust the Bible. And I know many of us, we have fully experienced it, even in our own lives, the power of God's word. And that's why one of our values here at Orchard is what does the Bible say? And so next week, we're going to be taking a look at another one of our values um, here at Orchard. And that value um, has to do, it actually answers the question of why we do things as a church a certain way. You may have uh, found yourselves wondering that at times. Well, make sure you come next week to find out what that value is as Pastor Doug teaches on it. First-time guests, we are so thankful that you joined us today. Hopefully, you've taken the time to fill out your connection card. Please put it in the offering bucket as it passes by in just a moment. That way, we can send you a thank you note and a free gift in the mail. Uh, First-time guests, we are not interested in your money today, but we are interested in getting to know you. So please take the time, fill out that connection card, put it in the offering bucket, and that way we can follow up with you. And then uh, just as a reminder, what Pastor Doug was saying, um, if you said yes to Jesus today for the very first time, man, we celebrate with you. We're so excited for you. I remember the very first time that I did that um, when I was a freshman uh, um, in high school. You just made the best decision of your life. And so, please, um, um, during this next song of worship, we encourage you um, go ahead and exit the auditorium. Um, even as we're uh, worshiping in a, in a song of worship, go to that I Said Yes booth so that, so that way we can get this booklet in your hands for some practical next steps. And so, let's do that now. Um, if you don't mind, let's all stand as we close in a song of worship. And we also worship through our tithes and offering because we want to be a church that acts our wage by giving first, saving second and then living on the rest. Thank you, love you guys.